Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. About beginnings. Uh, a lot of times when we start talking about beginnings, people don't like to talk about beginnings. I don't know what that is. Uh, some of us despise beginnings. Maybe you started somewhere in a small town, a small school, small whatever. We always think of beginnings the first places, and we kind of despise them. The Bible teaches us that we should not despise the place of beginnings. And so we begin to talk about how do we start this new year off right. And we went to Genesis chapter 1. And you'll remember that one of the first things that I told you is that in order for us to begin right, we have to get the order right. In the beginning, God. And so I challenge you, you've got to order your life right. God has got to be at the very beginning of everything. And you will remember the challenge. The challenge was, I challenge you, what are the visible indicators that other people around you can look at and see that and determine that God is first? Because if they can't tell, what good does it do? So I hope you've been accepting that challenge and that something in your life is giving a visible indication that God is first. The second thing last week that I talked to you about was that you need to hear God talk. God is still talking, and you need to hear his voice. And you'll remember that I told you that you need to get a word from God because God's word sustains you. It keeps you going. When everything else around you is falling apart, if you have a word from the Lord, you can keep going. Right? So God's word sustains you. God's word protects you. God's word provides for you. God's word brings peace into your life. God's word brings peace pruning. We don't like to talk about that one much, but it cuts things out of our lives. God's word brings healing. God's word brings pardon. God's word brings purpose. So my question and my challenge to you last week, and I hope that you've been digging on all week long, was this. Do you have a word? You need a word from God to sustain your life. So this week we're going to move on. I do need to apologize to you in advance because if let me just tell you this. If you don't know me very well, uh, let me just share some insight. I am extremely type A. Like those little blanks in your little worship program, they're not there for you. They're there for me because that just pushes all my buttons. And if you don't fill in one of those blanks, it's going to drive me nuts. I like thing in orders. I want everything in order. I want everything systematic. I want you to do it in a structured manner. That's who I am. So I'm, I told them in the first service, I am really struggling this morning because I wanted to go in order because we've been dealing through the order of creation. So we were supposed to stay in Genesis chapter 1 and deal with day 7 today. But God, as I began to study this week, changed my heart and my message and sent me another direction and I'm mad at him about it because it's not in order and so I'm just going to tell you in advance we're probably going to have to backtrack a little bit after today but I really sense that this is a word I will also tell you this morning uh, this is no revelation to those of you that have been coming a while but I tend to preach what I would consider prophetic messages in that they have a edge to them they are I just don't like to go to church and not be challenged uh, okay, this is I'm just doing church the way I would like it done. I don't want to go to church and be able to sit and never be challenged to change. What good does it do you? So my messages tend to have a little edge to them to call you to change. Here's the dilemma this morning. This one's really harsh. Okay, so I didn't get any amens in the first service and not very much sh shouting, but I, I hope that what that means is that people were applying and listening. So I encourage you to stay with me this morning. So here we go. We're going to jump forward way past where I wanted to jump. Genesis chapter 3. So join me there, if you will. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal that God had made. 
He spoke to the woman, Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, Don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. And the serpent told the woman, You won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. And when the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. And immediately the two of them did see what's really going on, saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. And when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the garden, hid from God. How many of you know it's better to hear God talk before you sin than after you sin? Okay, I just want to make sure you knew that one. That's free. That one in the line. That one in the outline there. That one's free, so make your own blank. It's better to hear God talk before you sin than after you sin. So they hear him talk, and the Bible says they hid from God. And then the Bible says, God called to the man, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you gave me as a companion, she gave me fruit from the tree, and yes, I ate it. God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And here's Eve's response. The serpent seduced me and I ate. Now, it only took about seven days into this thing we call life for people to start blaming people. Notice what happens. God walks through the garden he calls out Adam and Eve. He recognizes there's been a change. He confronts Adam, says, what have you done? And instantly, Adam blames. Now, we think he blamed Eve, but that's not true. He blamed God. God, if you hadn't given me Eve, if she wasn't here, I wouldn't be having this problem because the giraffe never tried to get me to eat from that tree. She caused me to eat from but but it's not her fault. It's your fault, God. And then Eve gets into the act, and God confronts her, and she says, it's that snake. It wasn't my fault. I didn't really want to eat. It was that snake that was talking to me, caused me to make the mistake and to, to do what you told us not to do. So it's, it's their fault. Now, the lesson is this. Hear me this morning. The lesson that we learned from the beginning is this. Blame is hardwired into us. If you don't believe that, you don't have any children. They're, I don't know what it is. They come out blaming somebody. I can't figure that out. I, I've got a fruit snack wrapper in the kitchen floor right now. And last night, right before they were going to bed, I looked at Devin and I said, Devin, go to the kitchen and get that fruit snack wrapper up out of the floor and put it in the trash. Without hesitation, without thought, without any plan, he just said, it wasn't me. It was Tao. That's Tao's wrapper. Children are hardwired to blame. If you don't believe that, then you've never been accused of anything. Because isn't it true that when we are blamed for anything, when we are accused of anything instantly, without any thought, without any planning, the, it seems like the first thing that comes out of our mouth is we begin to blame somebody or something else and we refuse to take responsibility for what we've just done. 
right? We are hardwired to blame. That's why when you deal with people, you hear all kinds of stuff like this one. The man that has just had an affair blames the coldness of his wife. If she would have just loved me the way I needed to be loved, then I wouldn't be having this affair. Baloney. That's blame. Right? We're hardwired that way. Uh, the man who steals and the man who kills, if you start asking him why he did what he did, he will always point you back, almost always will point you back to, it's my dad's fault. If my dad had been around, if my dad would have loved me, if my dad would have gone to my ball games, if my dad would have taken me fishing and hunting, if he would have spent some time with me and affirmed me, then I wouldn't be stealing and killing now. It's my daddy's fault. The person who gets burned by spilling hot coffee that they just purchased at a drive-thru will suddenly go back and blame the restaurant that gave them what they asked for. I want hot coffee. If they'd have gave it to you cold, you would have been mad that it was cold. So they gave you what you asked for. I want hot coffee. And you burn yourself, and then you get aggravated. We are professionals at blame. Point in case. Gregory Rhymes, he was, he's 15 years old. He's eaten at McDonald's almost every day of his life since he was six. He's a macaholic. Uh, he weighs 400 pounds. At 15 years old, he's five foot six. Think about that. Here's what he says. He says, when I go to McDonald's, I normally order a Big Mac, French fries, ice cream or a shake. And then he goes on and he says, I like to supersize my orders. Imagine that. When, when his mom was asked was what's going on because what's happened is he's so overweight and this food has affected him, he now has diabetes, and his, mo his mom, Ruth, was interviewed. And listen to what she said. She said, I would have never let my son gorge himself if I'd have known the food contained such high levels of fat, cholesterol, and salt. And then she makes this statement. I always believed that McDonald's food was healthy for my son. Give me a break. See, most of the folks in our society, listen to me now, it's going to get tight in here. Most of the folks in our society, and sadly enough, many of you sitting under the sound of my voice now, suffer from what we call a victim's mentality. We have bought the lie that I was wrong, I was dealt a bad hand, and I'm just a victim. And because we buy that lie, we must also buy the next logical lie that, the, that society has shoved down our throats. And we buy into this lie, and that is this. Since I'm a victim, I am no longer responsible for my actions because it's not my fault. I am the way I am. It's not my fault. It was somebody or something in my past that did this to me, so I am no longer responsible for my actions. The problem is, is that we've gotten to a place where everybody has a right and no one has a responsibility. We want our rights. I can do anything my way, any way, anytime, any way I want to, and nobody can tell me to do otherwise. And then when our life goes to hell in a handbasket, then we want to blame everybody else for our mistakes and our problems and our issues because we don't want to accept responsibility. And that's a problem. 
I want to challenge you this year at the beginning of this year. I want to remind you that we are hardwired for blame. And most of us have become experts at placing blame. Most of us have become so used to pointing fingers at everybody and everything else that we do it without any thought. But I want to challenge you this year to cut the hardwire before you become haywired. You say, what does that mean? Well, haywired means not functioning properly. It means disorganized. It means erratic. Or it means crazy. Because see, what I want you to understand this morning is if you continue to live your life in such a manner where you blame everybody else and you blame everything else and you never accept responsibility for your own action, the problem is, is you will go crazy and your life will become erratic and sporadic and it will fall apart and it will be disorganized and it won't function properly because that hardwire will lead you to becoming haywire. And so my challenge for you this year as we start this year is this. Cut the wires. Let me say it like this. Quit playing the blame game. How do we break our life? How do we break that pattern in our life where we're always blaming somebody or something else? Four things quickly. Number one, quit passing the buck. Let me just let me just present you with some freedom this morning. All right, you ready? I'm gonna make you free right here. I give you permission to wallow in self-pity, and I grant you permission to live your life in a chaotic manner and let it spiral out of control. I give you permission to be depressed and distraught and to be uh, all that kind of stuff for the rest of your life if nobody else is dealing with what you're dealing with right now and overcome it. Y'all didn't catch that. I, I give you the right to wallow in depression. I give you the right to, to become addicted and to, to, to find answers in, in that addiction. I give you all of that right. You can go out. When's the last time you've been at a church where somebody told you you could do all that? You can go out and do anything you want to do if what you're dealing with is so severe that nobody in history has ever dealt with what you're dealing with right now and overcome if you're dealing with death right now and it's immobilizing you and it's destroying you, if you're dealing with depression right now and it's caused you to, to fall apart and your life is going in a tailspin, if you are dealing with an addiction right now and it's caused your life to fall apart, if nobody has ever dealt with that before and overcome it, then I give you permission, just keep spiraling out of control. But I came to tell you that's not the case. Let me give you some examples. If... It, if Elizabeth Elliot could experience the death of her husband, a missionary husband, Jim. Some of you know this story. Standing on a sandbar, trying to win pagans to the Lord, they threw spears through him and killed him. If that woman, after losing the love of her life and the husband of her life, and the, uh, before their dreams had been fulfilled and their destiny had been fulfilled, if she can endure that and then go back and actually win the tribe that killed her husband to the Lord, then you can get out of bed tomorrow. 
if John and Tracy Whitaker, which some of you were here about a year and a half ago, we did a Rocky Revelation series where I stood them up and let them share the pain of their life. They stood and watched their 10-year-old little boy at the prime of his life, an outstanding athlete, an outstanding student. They watched helplessly as their 10-year-old little boy laid in a hospital bed and died of cancer. If they can still get up every day and go to work, if they can still sing the goodness and the grace of God, and they can still make it through a day, then surely you can pull it together and make it one more day. If Bob and Edith Ely, that's my mom and dad, if they can walk through the moments of their life where their fathers abandoned them when they were seven years old, I never met either one of my grandfathers. But if my mom and dad who were abandoned and rejected by their earthly fathers can pull their lives together and break that cycle and create a healthy family environment and not only that but create a legacy of God's work in their life and in the lives of others, then surely you can make it through what you're going through. I give you permission to live in the blame game. And to make excuses if nobody else was able to overcome what you're fighting right now. We got to quit passing the buck. We got to quit blaming circumstances. We must quit blaming people. We've got to quit blaming hardships. We've got to quit blaming sicknesses or anything else or anyone else for our condition. And this is what we must do. We must move forward. In other words, I'm in a nice way telling you to grow up, to get up, and to move forward. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, you know it because I, tell, I, I use it all the time, and I know I've referenced, referenced it probably 20 or 30 times in our existence already. I'm going to keep pushing you to this because this is the crux of why we believe that Jesus can help you through anything. Listen to all the promise that we're given in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Everybody say every. Everything we faced, he faced. Everything that has derailed us, he faced. Everything that has caused us to spin out of control, he faced but he wouldn't succumb to it. He kept moving forward. He refused to blame anybody, and he made it through it. And because he made it through it, the Scripture goes on and it says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a Savior that understands our circumstances. We have a Savior that understands what's gone wrong in our life. We have a Savior that can empathize with the hand we've been dealt, and he wants to come alongside of us and help us make it through it it's a powerful promise but to tap into that promise we got to quit passing blame off to everybody and everything else the second thing I want to challenge you to do is change the question in order for you to cut the wire of blame in your life you got to change the questions you ask because those that are caught up in the blame game usually ask this question right here who is wrong that's the question they always want to ask because if you ask the question, who's wrong, then the answer is always not me. 
by asking who's wrong, it allows you to place blame, assign blame on everything and everybody else. Who's wrong? Not me. Someone else did something wrong. Someone else made a decision that I'm having to live with now. So if we're going to break the blame game, we got to change the question that we ask. And this is the question that we must become experts at asking. Instead of saying, naturally, because we're hardwired for it, who's wrong? we got to ask this question, what's wrong? Let, let me explain. Instead of saying, whose fault was it that my marriage fell apart? Maybe the question we ought to ask is, why did my marriage fall apart? Because if I ask who, then I can blame my ex it was their fault. Come on now. I'm preaching right now. Y'all ain't shut me down no more. But I'm telling you right now, if we would ask what was wrong, then we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know, what was wrong was me. Instead of asking, who got us into debt? Because then I can blame my wife or my kids or my college that I attended that charged me too much for my education and now I can never get out of debt. Instead, the question ought to be, what's wrong? How did I get in this place in the first place? What do I need to change in my spending habits? What do I need to change in my saving habits? What do I need to change about my appetites that would allow me to put money back so I wouldn't get in the condition I'm in? That's the right question to ask. How about this one? Instead of asking, who stole my joy? The question ought to be, what caused me to place my source of joy in them instead of Jesus in the first place? If the young man who ate at McDonald's from the time he was 6 to 15 and dramatically, suddenly increased in weight. Can't get that through my mind. Nine years, dramatically, sudden weight gain. Yeah, right. If he'd quit asking who was wrong and start asking what is wrong, he would have gone to a gym rather than going to a lawyer's office. We must change the questions that we ask. If someone is wrong, then you're off the hook. But if we deal with the real question, if what's wrong, that puts it right back to where it has to be, which is us. The third thing I want to say to you is this. If you're going to break the blame game, you must guard your eyes. Eve learned a powerful lesson that I want to try to teach you this morning because it ties directly into this concept of blame for us. Listen to what happens. The Bible says she saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food, and then it makes this statement, and it was pleasing to the eye. So there's a lesson she learned, and this is, this is the lesson I want you to catch right now. It's this. Pleasing doesn't always mean beneficial. See, the truth is, is I, this is a profound truth. You've got to catch this. Our eyes lie. If you don't believe that, watch TV. They make the stupidest stuff look cool. Like, I'm at home brushing my teeth, and I watch TV, and if I bought everything that I saw with my eyes, I would have to change toothpaste so I could have a cute thing come out, out of I don't know where they come out of. They just kind of suddenly appear in the bathroom behind you because you brushed your teeth with the right toothpaste. Give me a break. Advertisers understand that our eyes lie. If you don't believe that, look at how they market beer. 
they market it so that it makes it look cool and sexy. And, man, if you drink, you're going to be prosperous, and you're going to have babes all over you. You're going to have the best seats in the ball games and all this kind of stuff. If, if they didn't realize that your eyes lie, what they would really show you is somebody hugging the toilet the next day. But they recognize that if they show you the right images, our eyes lie and that we buy into that. We need to go back and understand the truth that Paul taught us when he said everything is lawful, but not everything is expedient. In other words, what he's saying is just because it looks good to your eyes doesn't mean that it's going to be beneficial for your relationship with God or that it's going to be beneficial with, for you. I am telling you that the enemy will use your eyes this year to get you to do things that then you're going to have to try to blame your way out of. Are y'all listening to me this morning? It's going to look good. And then we go into it, and what we discover is that what we thought was looking good will leave a bad taste in our mouth. We must guard our eyes. Let me give you some examples. The truth is, yes, she does look good. Your eyes will lie to you. Your eyes will convince you that she looks better than your present wife. I'm preaching. What you thought was so cute when y'all were dating and so gorgeous and I got to have it, all of a sudden about four months for some of you and four years for others and four decades for some of us, some, some of you will suddenly see something coming across the room and your eyes will lie to you and can, yes, she does look good. But that's not the question. The question is, is if you follow your eyes, what's it going to do to your wife and what's it going to do to your kids? We trust our eyes too much. Yeah, it's going to feel good. Don't let anybody tell you that sin doesn't feel good. Come on now. Sin feels good. Y'all want to add the other two words? Or three words? For a season. Yeah. It does feel good. But what will it do to your witness? And what will it do to your call? And what will it do to your destiny? And what will it do to your purpose? And how long are you going to have to work to get out of the mess that you made because it looked good? See, our eyes can lead us into things that blame can't get us out of. Our eyes can lead us into debt. Our eyes can lead us into divorce court. Our eyes can take us into health, unhealthy places. Our eyes can lead us into addictions. Our eyes can lead us down paths that we will regret later because our eyes are directly linked to the hardwire that makes us go haywire. We see what we want, we do what we want, and then we feel the necessity to blame somebody else. If you want to break the blame game in your life, you've got to guard your eyes because the enemy will try to show you things that look better than they really are. And then finally, I'm going to talk about something that we're not going to like because this generation that we're living in right now is a generation that refuses to accept responsibility for anything. So here's the truth. If we are going to break the blame game in our lives, we have got to accept, I'm going to cuss right here, we're going to have to accept responsibility. Responsibility. Blame separates while ownership reconciles. Let me ask you this question. I don't know the answer to this question. I'm just going to ask you. 
Would there have been a difference in the outcome of what took place in the garden if when God confronted Adam and Eve about what they had done, if one of them had manned up, stepped up to the plate and said, I blew it. Would there have been a change? Now, I don't know. I do know this. There are always consequences to your actions. Always. Just because you come and kneel and say, God, forgive me. He forgives you. But I want you to know there are always consequences to your actions. All right? So I don't know if there would have been any difference. All I know to do is read forward several hundred years, and I go and I read the story of King David. And the Bible says that King David had a Garden of Eden moment because he took an apple too. His apple was adultery. And he's confronted with his act. And I want to tell you the truth this morning. David could have ascribed blame. Let me show you. He could have said, God, it's not my fault. It's her fault. If she had any modesty about it at all, she wouldn't have been out there bathing naked. She would have just known somebody had to be watching, so she would have just skipped the bath that day. It's her fault. Or he could have blamed God. God, if, if, if you hadn't made her so hot. I mean, if she'd have been ugly, I wouldn't have wanted to watch anyway. We wouldn't even be having this discussion right now. But because you made her so beautiful, I just couldn't help myself. It's not my fault. It's not her fault. It's your fault. Or he could have said, God, it's your fault. If you'd have just left me alone, I was just going to be a shepherd. I would have never been a king. I wouldn't have had this big balcony. I wouldn't have been up here in this palace overlooking all the other houses. It's not my fault. It's your fault. He could have blamed his servant. Because you remember the story. David sends the servant to have the woman's husband killed. He moves him to the front line, and he's killed. He could have said, you know what, you stupid servant, you should have disobeyed me that day. It's not my fault. It's your fault. You caused this to happen. If you'd have just disobeyed, held me accountable, this wouldn't have happened. But that's not what happens. The fact is, is that David was a great sinner. But he was a better repenter. I want you to hear what David says because I want us to catch this. We've got to come back to this place in our own life. When he's confronted with the sin of his life, listen to what he says. I have sinned against the Lord. Catch that. That's the only thing he said. He didn't point fingers at Bathsheba. He didn't point fingers at God. He said, I have sinned. He manned up. Were there consequences? Absolutely. The Bible tells us the baby died, but good news, David didn't. And I am telling you this morning that we have got to come back to the place where we will accept responsibility for our actions it's not your daddy's fault. It's not your mama's fault. It's not your boyfriend's fault. It's not your girlfriend's fault. It's not your school's fault. It's not your job's fault. It's not your car's fault. It's not your computer's fault. You had to turn it on. It's not the remote's fault. You could turn it off. It's nobody's fault but our own. And if we would accept responsibility, it would change everything. So let me teach you three things quickly, and then I'm done. I promise. Here we go. We've got to catch this truth. Here we go. Number one, we know the rules. That's why I have been harping on this fact. You have got to read God's word on a daily basis so you will know the rules. The reality is that most of you sitting under the sound of my voice already know the rules. And even if you've never read the Bible, not one day of your life, there's this little thing inside of you called a conscience that God placed there. 
so that at the moment that you're about to step out of bounds and to do things that you're not supposed to do, it's like a referee blowing his whistle as hard as he can saying, foul, you're out of bounds, hold on, don't make that mistake. You know the rules. Number two, we know the consequences. I don't know the consequences. Yeah, let me share them with you. The wages of sin is death. Well, that's not, very, uh, that's not a very 2011 concept. I think God's merciful. That's an old text. Let me just clarify for you. He is a merciful, loving God. But he cannot go against his own word. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. The Bible declares plainly that the wages of death is death, will always be death, and will continue to be death. It's just that we don't see the death as quick as we used to. In the Old Testament, the wages of sin was death like, pow, you're dead. But now because God is so gracious, now he lets us kill ourselves slowly. Well, y'all ain't listening to me. We think we're getting away with it. We ain't getting away with nothing. It's just biding its time, and it's killing us relationally. It's killing us emotionally. It's killing us spiritually. It's killing us financially. It's killing us physically. It just takes longer to act out. And we think that God has changed the wages of death, sin. But the, the, the wages are identical to what they've always been. They will be and always will be death. We know the rules. We know the consequences. But here's the grace in this whole message. Hear me carefully. Here's the good news. Number three, we have a choice. Did you know that the most powerful freedom that God has given us is the power and the freedom to choose? He's God. He could have mandated that we serve Him. He could say, you know what, you're never going to sin. I, I declare right now that this person will never sin. doesn't matter what they want to do. They'll have to live their life square and holy and never. But He said, you know what, I'll give you the greatest freedom I can give you choice the only problem with choice comes with responsibility so I want to challenge you this year is this you know the rules you know the consequences it's time to make the right choices I want to say something to you right now you are going to make choices in the month of January that will bear fruit in the month of December and if you don't deal and make the right choices right now, we will find ourselves in 2012 and 2013 and 2014 going in the same circles, doing the same thing over and over again. You break the patterns of your life by the choices you make. And so I want to challenge you to make the right choices. So we got to quit doing this. This is what we do. We break the rule, and then we marvel at the outcome. It cracks me up. We break the rule, and then we're like the basketball player that just crushes somebody. Boom, and then they go, who, me? Don't those guys just drive you nuts? But we do that spiritually all the time. I made the mistake, and then I go, really? I'm going to reap this? Yeah, yeah, you are. That's the law. So we've got to quit doing that, and we've got to quit blaming everyone or everything else and own up to our actions. So here's your assignment. I'm giving you homework. I am challenging you this week to get alone in your own bathroom or perhaps in your car and have a come-to-Jesus meeting with yourself. 
and I want you to talk to yourself out loud. And that's why I want you to do it by yourself so that people won't think you're nuts. All right? Okay? Here's the conversation that we need to have. For some of you, what I want you to do is I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and I want you to say this. I'm broke because I don't manage my finances well. It's not the bank's fault. It's not even my dad and mom's fault who didn't teach me how to use money. I had a choice. Some of you need to look at yourself in the mirror and have this conversation. My marriage is in shambles. Because I haven't worked on me. Oh, y'all didn't catch that. Because we want to blame our spouse. Some of y'all need to have the conversation I had with myself this week when I looked at myself in the mirror and I said this. I'm out of shape. Because I drank too many Coca-Colas since January 1st. And it's nobody's fault but my own. Sonic didn't come to my house. You know what I'm saying? I forced, I got in the truck, started the truck, and drove. Y'all ain't listening to me. I wish somebody would have this conversation with themselves. I'm lonely because I've waited on everybody else to initiate relationship, and I've put up walls in my life that keep people at a distance. Therefore, since I'm not friendly, I have no friends. Because then it dictates that you do something about it. I want somebody to look themselves in the mirror and say, you know what? She's a single mom because I wasn't man enough to put a ring on her finger before I violated her. I want somebody to look themselves in the mirror this week and say I'm depressed because I've allowed the acceptance and the opinions of others to dictate to me who I am. I want somebody to look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know what? My life is haywire because I refuse to cut the hard wire. And I've blamed everybody else. And now the only person I'm going to blame is the person looking back at me. Let me just clue you in. Once you have that conversation, you experience freedom and breakthrough that you will never experience otherwise. Because if you don't have that conversation, you're always going to be waiting on somebody else to fix what they cannot fix. So you either accept responsibility or you keep blaming this boyfriend and the next boyfriend and the next boyfriend. You quit. You either quit blaming or you'll blame this job and your next job. And the, I'm preaching. You'll blame this pastor or your next pastor or, the, or you'll blame this church or that church if they just loved me more, if they taught me more. Yeah, but did you ever open your own Bible? Uh, but I'll, we have to quit blaming and accept responsibility for our actions. I want you to stand with me this morning. I am determined to try to help you at the beginning of this year to learn the lessons from the beginning that will enable you by the end of the year to have a different life than you have right now. How do we do that? You put God first, you hear God talk, and you cut the wire of blame in your life. And allow Him to set you free. Father, this morning, 
I ask that you would challenge every individual under the sound of my voice. I pray that all of us together would quit playing the blame game and we would quit blaming everybody else for the conditions we find ourselves in and for the repercussions that we're dealing with now. I pray that in spite of whatever hand we've been dealt, some of the folks in this room have been dealt hard hands, but that does not mean they can't rise above it. So, Father, I pray this morning that we would, even though it's hardwired into us, it's almost natural. It seems like it's just second nature. Father, I pray that you would cause men and women in this room to quit blaming others and quit blaming things. And I pray that you would allow us to take responsibility for our actions and cause us to move forward in life. I pray that we'd quit passing the buck and I pray that we would change our question and that the result would be freedom. Father, corporately as a body, we repent. I repent. I've played the blame game as it relates to this church. We can make all kinds of excuses as to why there are empty chairs in this room. We could blame it on the size of our building, the outside of our building. I've done all that. But Father, this morning, I've changed the question from who's wrong to what's wrong. And what's wrong is, is that we don't really care that people are dying and going to hell. We talk a good game, but when it really comes down to it, most of us, don't invite, don't witness. And so we repent. Change our hearts. We can lay blame as to why this body doesn't make an impact in the community or we can do what we have to do to make that change and let influence flow. I pray that you would challenge each of us today to find the area of blame in our lives and to cut that wire so that we can walk into freedom and we can walk into the destiny and purpose that you have for us. And we will praise you for it because we'll be better for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. This is two assignments. One is to go home and talk to yourself in the mirror. Here's your second assignment quickly. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not going to blame you anymore. Come on, tell them, I'm not going to blame you anymore. And then you're free to go. Thank you for being here. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.